0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to j Presents as we are con- continuing our run of Canceled Too Soon here on the Real World Podcasting Network. Please leave a four- or five-star review so to tell people discover the great work that we are doing here at the Real World. My co-host, of course, is Kevin Ford. Kevin Ford and I have done a number of podcasts over the course of the last couple of years. We have done Mars Investigated. We have done... Real Bad, where we've discussed Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Uh, We discussed the fourth and final season of Barry last month, and you can go back into the archives and listen to our discussion of all four seasons. Ever since January of 2022, we've been on this Canceled Too Soon kick, and we've discussed a number of shows that we believe were canceled too soon, so definitely go check that out. Uh, Kevin Ford, on his own, well not on his own, but with other, other podcast hosts, has done such Shows as from Broadcast Depth, Flooping the Pig. Uh, He also does wrestling reviews as well. Uh, Myself, I have been doing Superhero Pantheon and Pantheon Plus with Brian DeBrain. So definitely go check all of that out. With all the plugs out of the way, Kevin Ford. Kevin, we are going to discuss a show that is very unique. Because there are a lot of uh, genres that we have explored over the last few years. And uh, the website is explored. But we never have really had... A discussion about true crime. And uh, true crime is extremely popular, and there's been an explosion of it in the streaming era which we will discuss as we get into things. But one of the shows that I wanted to discuss for Cancel Too Soon, and this was like in the back of my mind, if I made a long-term list, this is definitely one of the shows that I wanted us to go over. That would be the two seasons of American Vandal that streamed on Netflix in 2017 and 2018. And I picked this for a couple reasons. Uh, The episodes are pretty short. The seasons are relatively short, and especially with us, Ah, uh, kind of doing a, a summer run here. I wanted us to, you know, to to relax a little bit, to you know, relax, enjoy the show, and uh, that's what we are going to do here. And Kevin, before we discuss American Vandal, I will remind you that this is not a podcast about the second season of The Bear, even though maybe it could be. We are discussing American Vandal.
1: You know, I enjoyed American Vandal, but anything we watched following the season two of The Bear had a giant uphill battle in terms of comparison of quality because what a show
0: what a show indeed and when you said you were going to watch American Vandal after the Bear season two I was like Ooh, I don't know if that's going to work but anyway Kevin Ford your thoughts on American Vandal your big picture feelings on the first season
1: enjoyable it was very easy to watch very well done and uh, I think I think in general, when it comes to true crime, some things feel kind of like too big, especially when you talk about like murders or these big crimes or stuff. But to have something as, in the grand scheme of things, as innocuous as somebody spray painting a bunch of dicks on cars, you can you can really enjoy the ride because the stakes aren't too high. I think they really nailed the vibe, the tone of those things. Of in, in meaning, it's a really good parody of what an actual true crime show would look and sound like. And it was it was just really fun. I I, I feel like I heard of the show and I just had no idea what it was because it's the other funny thing about it is like the title sounds so serious. And then it's not at all serious, which I think is kind of interesting uh, and, and a funny choice. So uh, all around, I was I was uh, I was impressed by it. And I'm glad I got to see some faces from other shows that I enjoy as part of it.
0: For sure. Uh, this is a show, of course, that I really enjoyed. I would not have I wouldn't have picked it if I didn't enjoy it. Uh, because I'm not a masochist, but uh, I wanted to briefly discuss kind of before we get into the show itself, you know, any relationships that we you have with true crime. I know that for me, I probably watch it a little bit more than you do, um, especially because I think there's there's just so much accessibility of true crime documentaries between podcasts, uh, between uh, the docuseries that air on Netflix and HBO Max and places of that nature. So, you know, I think it's it's really something that has seen a, a huge explosion. I think True Crime has kind of been around for a very long time, but I look specifically at kind of this trio of docu-series, podcasts that I think have really had an impact on society for better and for worse. The three that I'm talking about, I think Serial uh, was one of the biggest podcasts of all time, especially... The first season, the production value. I think for a lot of people, Serial was probably the first podcast that that people, some people, ever listened to. I think that show was a big deal, and I think it was also a big deal because of the very real ramifications that it had on the justice system and uh, both the the victim and uh, the the alleged uh, perpetrator of the crime. There's also Making a Murder, which uh, which was on Netflix. And I remember it coming out in like Thanksgiving of 2014, 2015, one of those two years. And that show just absolutely exploded onto people's radar and just became this massive deal. And uh, Kevin, I, I would have to imagine that this came, this had to come across, even if you haven't watched the docuseries, I have to imagine this came across your radar because one of the, one of the alleged perpetrators uh, was a huge wrestling fan and wanted to go to WrestleMania. I don't know if you remember any of that.
1: Oh, I remember that. I did not watch the show, but I definitely remember it was it was definitely 2015 and everyone was talking about it on social media, even in real life people were like, "Oh, have you seen it And they were wanting to talk about their theories and whatever else. So yeah, it did seem to capture the imagination of a lot of people, but I, I so I 100% knew of it, but I just didn't watch it. And I do remember that Wrestlemania tidbit.
0: And, of course, uh, The Jinx. The Jinx is probably the le- the more, more obscure, but it is very infamous because the documentarians caught the perpetrator of the crime basically admitting that he did it while he was going to the bathroom and he didn't realize he was on a hot mic. So sorry to spoil The Jinx for you, Kevin. I assume you're never going to watch it, but for me, those are like the three... Uh, like Tenants, the three of the more important docuseries over the last few years that have have really caused the genre to explode. And there's numerous others, of course, but these are the ones that I think American Vandal are really going after in terms of what they're parodying, homaging, whatever you want to call it.
1: Yeah, I think that's correct. And I knew about Serial 2 and just didn't listen to it. Wasn't it a paid podcast at some point or like they paid-walled it pretty fast after like it concluded?
0: Uh, I don't. I, I. don't. I remember listening to the first season and never paying for it. And then the second season wasn't nearly as interesting, so I stopped listening. So I kind of stopped following. I know Serial is now owned by the New York Times, and I, I know it got sold at some point. But I don't believe that it is. Uh, that it is a Patreon or behind a paywall now. Okay.
1: So yeah, and I could be wrong, but was it was that also like an unresolved case they were discussing?
0: I mean, to an extent, somebody was in jail for the crime, but there were questions of whether he actually did it or not. And I think that in a lot of ways that that hits on the ethical concerns, like when you are presenting a case, like, what are you leaving out? What are you leaving in? Those kind of ethical concerns, I think are a huge part of, of some of the controversy surrounding true crime. And I think that this this documentary or this parody, American Vandal, I think does a really good job of kind of getting into those issues as well in terms of like what is actual truth, what is the significance of truth, how how do you how do you respect victims and things of that nature? So I think it gets into all of that. And whenever you have any genre of any sort, like you you are naturally inclined to want to deconstruct it and parody it. And very clearly this is both.
1: Yeah, and I think, it, it it for me, it sort of reemphasizes why I, I— this is kind of why I feel like I don't engage with much true crime, is because I don't really like unresolved stories. And so if the case isn't solved or someone's still at large or whatever, I find that unsatisfying. But I also, even worse, when someone, like, when you see a lot of failures of the criminal justice system, or someone wrongfully, you know, jailed, or things like that. That just makes me mad, and I do not want to watch or engage with those things. So to me, it doesn't entertain me. It just either leaves me feeling hollow because I didn't get an empty, you know, an ending, or it makes me feel angry because I'm watching the criminal justice system fail as it has time and time again.
0: I think the one thing that true crime always does a good job of, whether the true crime documentary is good or not, I think it always just exposes how poor the American justice system is and maybe in some ways if if nothing else maybe that justifies its existence i don't know like you could debate that one way or the other but i think that that's a conversation for another time this is just i think this is meant to be much more light and an exploration of the genre so kevin uh anything else before we get into it
1: no let's do it let's get into it
0: All right, so the the inciting incident, so to speak, takes place on March 15th, 2016 at Hanover High School in Oceanside, California. Uh, 27 cars at the school's parking lot are found uh, basically with phallic images drawn on them. And, of course, it becomes about who did the dicks, so to speak. And the, the entire school board and everybody basically thinks that this one person, Dylan Maxwell, as played, tremendously well i would say uh by jimmy tatro uh all i could say is in terms of performances what what jimmy tatro has to do as dylan maxwell he has to he has to like ride this very fine line of being a goofball but also kind of being like an asshole and kind of being mean but also very sweet and i have to say if if dylan maxwell if you are not if you are not into Dylan Maxwell as a character, this does not work.
1: Agreed. And and you have to really run that fine line of like being a miscreant versus someone who you just think is like a mean, bad person. And like he does stuff that he thinks is funny. And I think, you know, the 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 worst thing he does, I would say, is probably the pantsing people at the playground. Uh, but there's nothing that seems like he would have done anything that would make him like a reprehensible, unforgivable person, just a, just a stupid, dumb, you know, unambitious high schooler. And there, and there is enough to him that is charming and there's enough to him where you feel like this system is really against him. And it's the whole thing about like, you know, nature, nature versus nurture and how, like he's sort of been cast off by so many people in his high school. And that's and you f- and at least I feel like, man, that's really unfair, especially at the high school level to just give up on a person, even if you can sort of understand where teachers are coming from and stuff. But like what the students are saying about him, it just shows you that, you know, high school can be a nightmare for people. But they do plenty. They put it in on plenty of work to make him uh, empathetic and like a real person, which I, which is very helpful because you're right. Like that is the key to the whole thing.
0: And I think that they do a really good job of making him empathetic, but I do love the, one of the early moments that I really liked is the, his interactions with his brother. And it just feels like the perfect distillation of a, of a very broy like working class brother relationship. And that, that definitely got a, a pretty good chuckle out of me when they're kind of razzing each other. And, uh, they're talking about the Spanish teacher. That That's a moment I definitely appreciated.
1: Well, and it also gives you great insight to like Dylan already came into that school and that classroom with a disadvantage because his brother sort of set the table for terrorizing her. And then here comes the brother. And that can work in opposite ways. You know, if his brother was a, a student or whatever, and then your brother comes in, you have different expectations of him. But it seemed like that Spanish teacher and not that Dylan helped himself, but was already predisposed not to not to like him or give him a fair shake.
0: So we'll get into, like, the quote-unquote filmmakers for this in just a few minutes, but I want to talk about, like, the reason that that this, this character, Dylan, is being accused and is basically dead to rights is because of the consistent testimony of one Alex Tromboli. And I know that you recognize, so the actor who plays Alex Tromboli is Callum Worthy. That is his name, Callum Worthy. Uh, Kevin, I know that you recognize, Callum from other things and specifically something that I saw him in is what influenced my decision to actually want to do American Vandal
1: right I think I only recognized him from the one thing but I saw him and I was like why do I know his face and so I, I you know looked him up on IMDB or Wikipedia or whatever and I realized oh yeah he was Stewart in the like new conservative group episode of Party Down from season four and then i wondered i was like i'm curious if jerome watching that is what made him decide to do american Vandal. and i asked and sure enough that was uh i know you said you had in the back of your head but that seemed to bring it to the forefront of it absolutely did
0: it absolutely did and i think so you mentioned that this captures the feel of the true crime documentary and a lot of what they do with alex terbully i think really hints at that so the the gimmick is is that <laughs> and again, I think this this show does a really good job of like dancing up to a very specific line and not really crossing it. Uh, but a hand job becomes an important factor in this, just like uh, Who Do the Dicks? It's it's there's a lot of dick talk in this in this show. So if you're not into that, boy oh boy, I mean, I mean, it's high words, school. It's really
1: there's shit. there's a lot of dick talk in high school. What can I say?
0: There's a lot of dick talk. So and I think it it comes up with the uh, the hand job in terms of the text messages that are exchanged between him. Uh, and the girl that he may or may not have received the handjob from, Sarah. And the the analysis of what the uh, second Y in hey means, like does that mean something specific? And I also love that the actual drawing of the dicks means something because one set does ha- has ball hairs and one does not. And that's the kind of digging that these true crime documentaries love to do. And you don't know whether it actually means anything or not, But it's just this idea of like, well, this matters because such and such, and this matters because such and such, and you don't, you don't really know anything.
1: Well, and I think that's also an important thing to note about the show is that like, this is not, at this point, this is not a a criminal trial. This is just, you know, court of public opinion. The school is involved and they've expelled the person. But at this point, like, you know, circumstantial evidence and things like that, and some of these silly little things it's just it's just a student two students putting this together it's not this you know giant thing with lawyers and some other things involved so i that that helps a lot too where you can take the dumb little things uh like ball hair and and extrapolate them out into close to a whole episode
0: yeah i mean a lot of the focus of the first two is is on alex tromboli and i think it's uh it's it's really good stuff episode two probably also has my favorite title a limp alibi which i could just imagine the writers sitting around the table coming up with that title high-fiving each other and calling it a day
1: yeah that's just i mean that's that's just beautiful beautiful is what that is
0: is it is it lazy maybe is it obvious maybe is it still funny and did i laugh every time i absolutely did
1: Sometimes, Jerome, the low-hanging fruit tastes the sweetest.
0: I mean, it's like when we had that discussion about fart jokes. Like, the day a fart joke isn't funny is the day I don't want to live.
1: Again, one of the two things my 11th grade history teacher told me was that farts will always be funny, and he is correct.
0: Uh, so the filmmakers, uh, uh, I think their, their journey is explored as well. Uh, Peter Maldonado, as played by Tyler Alvarez, and Sam Eklund, as played by Griffin Gluck. And uh, Sam has a a crush on uh, one of their uh, one of their cohorts there, who's kind of helping along, driving them around. Uh, Gabby Granger is played by Camille Hyde, and uh, the filmmaker's journey is also something that is really fascinating because I think it starts out, and I think this is very true to true crime. It's like they're starting out with they're just pointing the camera, they're just shooting the footage. But eventually, what starts to happen is is like they become involved themselves, and their very involvement is changing the situation, and it is it's changing the relationships of those they go to school with in terms of relationships and friendships. Uh, the fact that Sam and Gabby eventually like stop talking to each other, and you know Peter is putting himself at risk and is getting suspended and. Like, people are, like, yelling at him about what he's doing. And, you know, this documentary is, within the context of the show, creating a lot of tension at the school because people are watching it and maybe learning things about people they didn't know before. And I think that is a – that is also a huge part of this. It's not just about, you know, drawing the dicks and whether Dylan is guilty or innocent, but, like, the very role that the filmmakers employ. Like, if you are going to parody the genre – You have to cover that aspect of it, too. And I think they do that really well.
1: For sure. And I think that's a big takeaway and that it really gets into it in the last few episodes is just these documentarians are really looking for it from a documentary perspective where there's subject matter. There's material, you know, there's footage, there's this and that. But it's they it's they almost never take a step back and realize what is this footage going to do to other people? You know, how is this going to affect the lives of people? Who's going to see it? What what ramifications can it have? And I think they feel like I don't know this, but kind of the impression I get is like, you know, they they have the episode where they investigate one another and one of them's kind of jokey about it. And the other one is like kind of thinks that the other has a crush on a friend. And he's like, seriously, like we're going to put this in the documentary. And I think part of me wonders that they feel like, well, if we're going to put this in here and kind of expose ourselves a little bit and at least investigate ourselves, then that kind of gives us uh, a little bit of leeway because we're not being biased. But the problem is, is yes, that's you and you're and you're consenting by doing that as the documentarian, you're filming these things. And maybe you're getting consent to put the footage in there, but with the way it's edited with the story you're trying to tell with these things that you're doing that they don't know about outside of the interviews and things, all that makes it in there. And it can, and it has this effect on so many people's lives. And I think, There's a lot of what I like about that in the last few episodes. But if you're looking at it as a documentary and wanting to get the facts out and this and that, your objective, it's like you're almost too steeped into your goal of the movie to think about it, to think of people as people as opposed to just people involved in the story.
0: For sure. I think that's a that's a really good way of putting it. And I love the again, the way that they explore this, you know, they 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 dissect the alibi, which is something that I think you see in a lot of these docu-series, is the exploration of, like, in terms of the time, could he actually do it? And they basically figure out that for Dylan, it's it's a tight squeeze, but he probably could do it. And I think that's a lot of the tension of the second episode as they get into the third episode. The third episode is where they kind of explore the teachers. And I think in terms of the cast of characters of teachers – I think they do a really good job of kind of representing the gambit of the types of teachers that you would see at a school like this. Like I think every school has somebody like Mrs. Shapiro who is like this beloved teacher, but is she beloved to, I don't know, a certain group of students and maybe not such a great teacher for other groups of students. Uh, You have the, the hard-ass vice principal who I feel like that's if you're a vice principal, that's, that's kind of the requirement is playing uh, the bad guy. And then you have Mr. Krasinski uh, who is the, the quote unquote cool teacher and clearly wants to just be friends with the students more so uh, than being an actual teacher. So I think just, those are the kind of the, and the gym teacher as well is also an important factor, but especially in episode three, we get a lot of focus on Mrs. Shapiro and Mr. Krasinski. So uh, how did you feel about uh, the way that they cast the teachers and kind of the roles that they played uh, in the students' lives as well as the documentary?
1: Mr. Krasinski made me laugh and roll my eyes pretty much any time he was on the screen. And this is, you know, we're young enough. We're like, I had a Facebook account my senior year of high school, but barely used it. But like here, it's like the teachers like tweeting and, you know, he's willing to badmouth other teachers on camera and like kind of sort of say, he thinks one of his students is hot. And like, again, the goal is thinking about coming off as being the cool guy to the students and the documentarians, but not really thinking about what ramifications it could have on his professional career. Uh, and even later when, when they have him, once he doesn't have his job anymore is really great. But I didn't, I never had a teacher who was that far into that. Um, I think what for me, it was uh, the teachers who were like more understanding of like, you know, hey, these are still high schoolers like, you know, some teachers that you'd either have too high expectations or are too strict and it backfires. And I feel like that's a little bit more of what you get with Miss Shapiro uh, where I get someone who's like, he's a teacher and he can come down hard when he needs to. But at the same time, it's like, if I don't have to, I'm not going to do that. But you're and there's definitely those teachers like Miss Shapiro, who is more inclined to believe and be attracted more to students who either work hard or she feel have actual aspirations versus students who feel like they show up and are going through high school because that's, that's the age and that's what they're supposed to do. Uh, and they don't work. They don't put in the work with those students, even if they say they do. And yeah, and, and they have biases, you know, everyone, that's the other thing. To remember, it's just like everyone here is human. You have your biases, you have your tendencies, you have whatever. And it's not like, again, her dislike of Dylan is totally unwarranted, but you know, for her to go to be so sure that it was him who drew the dicks and so sure that he targeted her when she really had no evidence outside of the way he behaved in class uh, is bogus. And so, yeah, I think the, the way they cast the teachers and the way they had them is fairly true to life. And you're right. Like, I feel like a vice principal and you always have like the top, top person, like a principal who like, they, they need to be protected a little bit because they still want to be seen as a good guy to the teachers and the students and stuff. So you have your vice principal be the one who's the hard ass and deliver the bad news. Uh, and that's why I think it's it's more believable that you have a vice principal than the principal and the position he's in in this, in this show is too.
0: Absolutely. I, and I think that episode three does a really good job of that. Episode four is when we kind of go through the looking glass. And I have to say, when I was watching episode four, I was thinking back to the show that we did previously review uh, with Andy Daly as Forrest McNeil, and I, this is the point when I was starting to get review vibes when uh, when Peter and Sam were like digging into each other and talking about how they possibly could have done it because it just feels like they're becoming so wrapped up in this situation by episode four that they're kind of losing the perspective, and that I mean that's what makes the show funnier. Is the fact that they go so hard on each other, especially uh, Peter going after Sam, that I think episode four for me is a transition point from this is an amusing, fun show to they're really they're really going for it in a very specific way, and this is when I think the show elevates for me in a in a big way. So episode four might actually be my favorite of the entire season. Uh, I will come back to this and maybe talk about the entire series. But for me, episode four is really important in terms of, okay, we're not just parodying the true crime genre. We're going to really explore something and, like, what actually happens to the people who are doing the documentary. So, yeah, episode four is one of my favorites.
1: It's a good one. And I do think, you know, like you said, when you get Peter, when Sam gets mad at Peter— Because he throws the whole thing about doing this because he likes Gabby and stuff. And he's like, dude, what the fuck? Uh, That's 100% like a moment where it starts to click like, oh, yeah, like putting this stuff on film can have some ramifications. And obviously we are watching what the students are watching. So they still decided to include that clip, which I found to be incredibly
0: interesting. Yes. And, uh, I love the description at the end, uh, calling it a Kiefer Sutherland type voicemail. I don't know how well that joke has necessarily air has necessarily aged, but I I definitely got a good chuckle out of it. And, um, you know, Peter's kind of losing his mind and thinking, Oh, well, Dylan maybe could have done it because he was trying to get the attention of his uh, girlfriend that he's constantly breaking up (laughs) with. And, Coming back together. Kevin, when you were in high school, did you ever have those friends and you don't protect the innocent, don't say any names, but did you ever have those friends who would uh, get together and break up with their girlfriends all the time? Because I feel like I feel like every every friend group has that one friend.
1: I don't think so. I I to be honest, I had a lot of people who like most of my friends like didn't date in high school. I had and if they did, it was like they either stayed with the person for a long time or they would like be like monogamous, like what What sort of, not like a serial dater, but they wouldn't like break up, get back, break up, get back. Uh, but I do know those existed. They just weren't in my direct friend group.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's just, I, I, I think that they do a really good job of kind of nailing that specific trope too of the guy and the girl who are constantly breaking up and getting back together and the things they do for each other. Uh, but as we kind of transition into the second half of the season after the the four episodes of exploration, um, they kind of get in deep with one of the neighbors and uh, they get in deep and talking about the party. And I I have to say, I think the, the party, the exploration of the party is a mixed bag for me. But I think in terms of this show is not only exploring like what it means to be a high schooler, but specifically diving into like, what does it mean when everything is filmed and you have all this footage from various phones, I think they do a good job of making that feel real. I think they do a really good job of using social media in specific ways. Again, I don't know how good, it, how well it's going to age when you're making reference to specific applet, specific social media apps. But I think in terms of placing this in 2016, 2017, I think there's there's some really good work in episodes five and six in terms of okay we're gonna explore this party but obviously we don't have cameras there we didn't film it but we can use all of the phone cameras to really look at what's going on looking at um, you know social media feeds instagrams twitters facebooks all that good stuff and I think that's 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 where I think the show hits a stride from a technical standpoint because we're not just and I, I would love to know just how they storyboarded this, like how they actually created this, because it's, it's pretty impressive because it really does feel like this could actually happen. Like if you wanted to put together a rundown of what happened at the party, like you could do that given everybody is taking pictures now and everybody is shooting video.
1: Just makes you realize, boy, these high schoolers who are, Cool posting videos of them Underage drinking all over the internet They sure are bold aren't they
0: I mean I am An adult man and I have never posted my, A picture of myself drinking
1: Yeah I, I think that is But I think that's just like the day and age it is But it, I do find it interesting that like that doesn't Get mentioned more Like the parents Don't care like you know Peter at at one point he's like Doing shots on camera and stuff at A couple times and it's just like and his parents, you know, at some point get involved, sort of, and it's just you never hear about parents commenting on this, which I find to be very interesting. Um,
0: I, so, think there are, there, I think there are a specific subset of parents who are okay with underage drinking as long as it is happening in their home.
1: That And, and I 100% knew those parents. I did not, I, I, I can say with honesty, it doesn't matter now, even if I did, but like, I never went to those places, but I... I knew of parents who felt that way, like, well, if it's going to happen, if it's under our roof and watch like that's okay. that's for that was for sure a thing, at least when I was in high school. But anyways, uh, it is just interesting that like, you know, we never had to even go through that because of our ages and what social media was at that time. But uh, I also wonder if it has something to do with like the West Coast culture, Uh, because I also thought about that, too, with like off campus lunches like that was not at all a thing for me. In fact, they had people. They had security stationed at the exits of the parking lot, the student parking lot, to make sure people didn't leave until the school day was over. Uh, But I think maybe warmer weather, California, everybody kind of has a car, things like that. Like maybe that's something that's there, and it's a privilege for seniors at least. I don't know, but yeah, it just makes you wonder too. It's like, does that have something to do with it as well? But yeah, obviously, this is all to say that. Because high schoolers are that way and they're cool sharing the videos and stuff they do or like, you know, a boomerang of their girlfriend shotgunning a beer from high school. Like, yes, it's it's a great tool for them to be able to collect and compile that and start to build a case for or against other people and see what's going on. So, yeah, this is a this is actually, I thought, a really good episode uh, overall.
0: Are you talking about five or six? Five. Yes, uh, I I. I... Uh, Premature Theories is also a great title. Like I don't know. I I think they peaked with episode two, but Premature Theories and Gag Order are also Gag order,
1: climax, all good stuff.
0: I mean it's just it's all about dicks, so of course all about
1: dicks. Clean up, that's even funnier.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And uh uh, spoiler for season two, the titles the titles, if not, I don't think they get better, but they're still it was still really, really
1: they're relevant to the plot.
0: Yes, and uh, that's that's what you want. So uh, in episode six, um, this is more personal stuff. As as it turns out, uh, maybe Alex Tromboli did not get the handjob, uh, but it was in fact Gabby's boyfriend who did, and that leads to a lot of tension uh, amongst the group of documentarians. Also in episodes six and seven, uh, the school is kind of responding because uh, the documentary is kind of exploding in terms of uh, first it is on YouTube and then it gets picked up by Netflix. And uh, so there's uh, very much the feeling of kind of looking through, of through the looking glass. And the school was like, well, enough's enough. So we need to ban just being able to watch it and being able to do any filming. And this leads to uh, Peter and Sam getting themselves in trouble, possibly being suspended. And yeah, I think that is... There's a there's a natural reaction that when you're trying to do an expose on the school, uh, a school is not they're not going to appreciate it. And I think their reaction is only natural, even though uh, they're they're clearly, you know, they may be hiding some things as well. But I think the school's reaction felt felt really natural to me. And again, the idea of this this vice principal, are, are vice principals just inherently assholes. Is, like, is that like the gimmick?
1: I think it's just the job. Like I say this as someone who works, you know, in HR, it's like sometimes you're just the heat position. Like you're going to, you're going to have to be the bad guy sometimes to, with, to, you know, with policies and procedures or this or that. And, you know, I, I think vice principals are the same way. Like they are there to be the hard asses. So the principal can be the good guy or good or good woman or whatever. So I think that's just what the job calls for. So yeah, I think that is that, that is just what the job has to be. And I do think, you know, you've taught. I think them banning the documentary, even if it's like, oh, they're getting too close to this or that or whatever, it, it does feel like it is a massive disruption in the school and and hindering focus and, and, the, and teaching. So I can also understand why they would do it, you know, ban it from the school if it is becoming this big disruptive force.
0: But the irony, of course, is that because of the online attention, people are focusing on what's going on in Oceanside and what ends up happening is that actually that helps them get back into the school into being able to eventually go back to filming and I think that's that is a really I think that's a really natural thing to happen is that because everybody in this world is paying attention to what's happening like of course it's gonna it's going to become a situation where well, they're going to film because of all this pressure from the outside. And I I appreciated that part as well, because and you also logistically like we have to finish the story. So from a writing standpoint, like that's how you get out of this. But mm,
1: finish the story, you say.
0: Then it's the story. I didn't even do that on purpose.
1: I but. know. But and it also reminded me, too, of just man. I am so glad we grew up when we did, because like, God forbid you were someone who was like bullied in school. At least when you got home, it was over. Now it's just like with online and texting and stuff, like it just doesn't end. You can't shut it off.
0: Let me tell you, I am so glad that I did not have a cell phone and there was no social media in high school. Like I cannot even imagine what it was like, what it would be like to have to deal with that. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous.
1: I had a cell phone in late high school, I think like second half of junior year and senior year, but it was just, it just called. Like I didn't get, I didn't do any right. texting until college.
0: Yeah, I, and you you're a couple of years younger than I am, so I didn't even ha- I didn't basically have a cell phone until I was in college. So I basically got to go through my entire elementary and high school experience without a cell phone. And I, I the first social media platform I joined was Facebook in like the spring of two thousand four. And I am incredibly happy that that's how it worked out, and Kevin. It's how about uh, it? It's very good. Uh, episode seven. Which they call a climax, even though it is the the penultimate episode, and this is where we uh, we we kind of find out that Dylan might truly uh, be innocent in a lot of ways, and I think it's uh, it's it's kind of this very, it's like yes, he was proven innocent, but it's a very much a monkey's paw uh, situation because of what happens with uh, with he and McKenzie and kind of their relationship and. Um, this is an episode where Peter is thinking that maybe Dylan and Mackenzie worked on it together, but eventually figures out that that is not the case. And as it turns out, Mackenzie uh, was kind of cheating on Dylan. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very – it's not a fun twist, but I think it's a twist that makes sense within the context of the show. Given Mackenzie and Dylan's relationship, uh, given the relationship to video – so, of course, this video that Mackenzie releases really does prove uh, that Dylan did not do the dicks. And, yeah, I think this was a great twist that that kind of brought everything together. It felt natural. And I think it really kept up with uh, with a lot of the themes that uh, the show had been uh, centering itself around.
1: Can I answer one of your burning questions now? Go for it. Your one of your burning questions is, when did you want to yell you were going to die alone to Peter? Ah, uh, this episode is when I wanted to yell that at him during the McKenzie interview when he makes her break down emotionally, and she—this is where she is she chastises Peter not only for, you know, accusing her with again circumstantial evidence, but talking about how, you know, the, this is when you get to see how the documentary affects people. We're off camera, she's saying like, "You can't post this," like, you know, could mess up my college plans and stuff. And he says, "I have to." No, you don't. You absolutely don't have to post that interview. What are you talking about? Uh, you could just stop this documentary right now anytime you want. This isn't for a school project. You know, you're just doing it to do it. Uh, and either he doesn't care or is too wrapped up to see through and need to post it anyways. And either way is bad. And I think the the payoff in the beginning of episode eight when we see what she sends him. But I think that text is great. Like, you know, you want proof like, you know, fuck you or whatever. And gives him the link to her Twitch. which you talk about social media not aging well, Twitch, at least at this point, has aged really well. Because now that is way more prolifer- uh, you know uh prolific of a platform, and I think the the pandemic is a big part of why that happened. Um But yeah, like I I, I like that she you know told Peter off here, and you got to see the real life uh, you know, consequences of somebody being this. And then you see in episode eight how this affected her and Dylan when Uh, we got the reveal that we did. So yeah, this is probably my favorite episode.
0: Fair enough. And episode eight is the longest episode, but I really think that it earns being 42 minutes long. And I think that it does that in a couple of ways. Number one, confirming that Dylan and Mackenzie are in fact not the ones who did the dicks, but also just getting into uh, an alternative suspect. And throughout the documentary, Uh, They have uh, they have shown another student and kind of kind of hinted at, you know, being involved with the morning show, uh, doing some interviews like she is an activist on campus. And this this student, Krista Carlisle, they don't come out and say it necessarily, but they they lead you to believe that because of uh, what the football coach slash gym teacher did Uh, To her, in terms of like having her be tackled, even though she just wanted to be a kicker on the football team. Like they heavily imply that it was in fact she and another student that likely uh, her boyfriend actually are the ones who did the dick. And he even confronts her about it. She doesn't. She basically denies it and kind of, I mean, kind of rightfully just says to go away. Like even though she is she guilty probably. Uh, is it is 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 he in a position to really accuse her? Uh, probably not, given given everything that's happened up to this point. But sadly for Dylan, even though he was proven innocent, even though uh, he is able to go back to school, like he he starts to see footage of the documentary and realizes that he comes off like kind of an idiot, kind of a goofball. He sees what other students are saying behind his back, and he eventually draws a dick on. Uh, Mrs. Shapiro, uh, where she parks her car, and in fact is going to get himself in even more trouble for doing that, and uh, talks about you know being arrested, drawing this penis, being a fuck up, and like in the end, Dylan succumbs to everybody's preconceived notions of him, and man, it's a uh, kind of a dark ending for Dylan, but I think that this documentary, as funny as it was. I really appreciate like what it had to say about Dylan, about Krista Carlisle, and just about high school in general. Like I think this, this final episode really did a great job of bringing everything together.
1: And you didn't even mention what I think is one of the best scenes in the entire show is when the girl who Sarah Pearson confronts him and she's like, why? you know, you put on this video, text message, private text messages I sent. You published a list of the people I've slept with. My parents saw that, like, you're an asshole. And like, I want you to know you're an asshole. And I was so glad she said that. Because again, I think, you know, he needs, did he do a good thing for Dylan Maxwell? Yes, I would say so. At least clearing his name for this. But that is also in question from what you said. You know, he watches they watched the the first episode of the documentary and everyone calls him a loser, a burnout. They're, you know, who cares? He's probably not even gonna graduate. And I think there is that sector of people who say, well, if everyone's already, you know, if if people think my die is cast this way, why not lean into that? Why if I'm if no matter how hard I work, it's not gonna change people's minds, or even if I'm innocent, it didn't change the Spanish teacher's mind. I think all of that is just like, and you know, he doesn't get into college. Mackenzie breaks up with him. Yes, he's allowed back into high school, but apparently everybody thinks he's a loser except for his friends. So it's it's almost like all he has so many losses, even with this one little victory, and he doesn't get an "I'm sorry." I mean, he gets a, he gets an, a a technical "I'm sorry," but not really from the Spanish teacher. And it feels like while everything. You know, he he feels like he should get this hero's welcome and things should be great. And man, it really isn't. It's just one thing in his life and he acts out. And I think all of that is very realistic and that tends to happen to some people when people perceive them a, a certain way. So I like, I do like that they gave us the conclusion about Dylan Maxwell, that he definitively did not draw the dicks. But I also like that it isn't, you know, all warm and fuzzies for him either. And that the the documentary has side consequences for him as well.
0: And it also hints at, again, somebody else possibly doing it, but in the end, we're never going to know. We're never going to know who actually drew the dicks. And I think that is, I think that's a very good summation of true crime in general is that there are no, there are no good answers. And again, I think true crime has a lot of flaws, but I think one of the positive things It can do when it is done well is it hints at the idea of not just innocence but of just how messed up our our system can be and just I think and I think what the add on here is that we're really exploring the consequences and just what happens to Peter and Sam as well that they kind of become so into this thing that in the end like they become as they, they kind of victimize themselves in some ways, because, uh, just how obsessed they are with the situation. And I think it really represents just how obsessed people are in general with true crime and trying to prove people's innocence or guilt. And I mean, this is, this is a very real thing. If you go on Reddit and explore true crime, like this is the kind of stuff that you would find and you would find people who are, if not more so obsessed than the Sam and Peters of the world.
1: Well and I know it's it's different from true crime but you see like you, this weirdness where this weird thing where like that uh, Jeffrey Dahmer like Netflix movie comes out and there you get people who are sympathetic for Jeffrey Dahmer and you're like what the hell like it's it's such a weird thing but you know you hear about like those people who were like pen pals or you know fell in love with um oh god what's his name
0: prisoners um Charles Manson Manson
1: that's exactly what I was thinking of yes Uh, It's a weird relationship that that people tend to have uh, when when they learn about folks through this other medium. But again, everything we know about the characters in this story are through the lens of Peter Maldonado. And I think that's something else. You know, he's coming in through a bias where he thinks Jacob Dylan is innocent. He ends up being correct. But there's a lot of times where there's doubts about it or uh, and and you kind of want him to be right. But it's all the way that it's presented by him. And, you know, I think, again, I, if if the show, I think it's fine that the show ended with not a definitive answer about who drew the dicks. But it wouldn't have been okay to me if it was open-ended and they never resolved, did Dylan do it or not? And I think the fact that they closed that chapter and still left it open-ended makes it more palatable. And I'm glad they went that route as opposed to just a total, like, who knows, kind of ending.
0: Yeah. I I think the heavy implication works out really well because in your mind you can say, well, she did it or she didn't do it. But I think having Dylan definitively not do it, but then still get himself in trouble anyway. I mean, I think that's, that is, that is the perfect ending to the show because I think that really does a great job of representing um, what the true crime genre is in some ways. But again, I think even though the story isn't real, I think you still want some resolution and, Especially, I could see a scenario where, you know, you're sitting down to watch this show and you're getting some, you know, you're getting some chuckles from the first couple episodes, but I don't know, especially when I watch this the first time, by the last two episodes, like, I was genuinely invested in the story, even knowing that it wasn't real. And I think when you talk about being a pro wrestling fan, like, that's what being a pro wrestling fan is too. Like, you know it's fake, but you're so into it that it doesn't matter.
1: Right. And what's interesting is that this is a real story, but the way you kind of feel about it with the end of Vandal is almost like the same way Zodiac ends, where there's a guy that like you're pretty sure is the Zodiac killer, and then it just the, the because the guy has a heart attack and dies, it never gets closed and it's never resolved. But you know there is part of that where they have at least a really solid witness that you at least can feel some sense of. Uh, resolution, even if in real life it's never fully resolved. Same thing here with, with Krista Carlisle getting uh, blamed for her and her boyfriend doing the crime, even though she doesn't confess to it. And why would she? And uh, but again, there's enough of that where you can say, yeah, she probably did it, or at least everything sort of lines up where she did it. But you know what? Like, there's a again, I think that's a lesson learned from The documentary, even when a lot of people think it's one person or all the things make sense for it to be somebody, it isn't that person sometimes. And so I think that's another interesting takeaway, kind of like the movie Doubt. Yeah, there's a lot of things that look like it probably is the case, but without, you know, harder evidence, you you can never really know for sure. But I think, you know, if you want to. So I think you could say, yes, it was definitely her or or, no, it wasn't or "Ah, I don't know. Uh, But it's nice. I think that you can leave it to your own conclusion, too.
0: I like that too. And uh, between your your bringing up Zodiac and serial killers, it seems like you are really ready to talk about Mindhunter at some point.
1: I think yes, absolutely. Uh,
0: maybe, maybe soon. All I'm gonna say is soon. Pretty
1: soon. But and we gotta we got we got the second season of this to go through at first anyways. I, am, I do really like by the way that I that it's like one season story done. And then move and then the next season presumably doesn't have anything to do with season one at all.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's the the uh, I'm, I'm not going to say it, but they're definitely it's it's a completely different case and there are very few connections. It very much is. You could watch season two without watching season one and basically get everything you want out of it. So right. I think that's the important thing. And uh, burning questions. Did Carlisle draw the dicks and does it matter?
1: It definitely does not matter. I'm going to say yes, because I. Well, I think her boyfriend did it and she erased the footage as is speculated and especially but, you know, especially when she's so standoffish. And I think the other thing that that I think was very real is that she waited till after graduation to grant him the interview. And I thought maybe there she'd go scorched earth because who cares? I have my degree. I'm going to college. Who gives a crap? But no, she doesn't give him what he wants.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's that's also a very that's a very good ending, like doing it after graduation being so standoffish. And I I really love that even though she is guilty, you can justify her behavior towards Peter because at this point, maybe not all the way on Peter's side either. So I really appreciate that part too. For sure. Like everybody's guilty to an extent, like everybody based on what we've seen, like everybody has a certain amount of blood or okay, not blood. They have spray paint on their hands
1: and there's one funny thing I want to mention from the season that it kind of shows you Peter's character, but there's a character that is only shown in pictures. This nerd named Pat Micklewaite who like Peter just goes off on that. He couldn't believe that he was invited to this party or that Sarah would do stuff with him or this other girl could. And it has nothing to do with this, with Jacob Maxwell or the, or the who drew the dicks. He's just so incredulous that somebody who either he has a problem with or, he feels is nerdier than him, has has these has this social status that he doesn't. That he goes out of his way to shit on him, and so that it made me laugh. But it is sort of like, oh yeah, he also has his own biases or things he's going to throw in here that are irrelevant to the story because that's what people do.
0: I will say they captured the high school yearbook photos really well. Incredibly, uh, I think the Alex Turnbull one might be my favorite just because it's 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 perfect like i can't imagine like just imagine being an actor and you want to always look your best and you are about to take this photo where you purposely have to look like a high school geek of some sort or like i mean high school photos are just awkward in general i mean it's just it's really good stuff and i have to say performances across the board were really good i know that since this document since this Uh, mockumentary I guess you could say is aired like a number of these people can be seen in other movies and shows like I know you mentioned that Jimmy Tatro you saw him in uh, uh, the theater camp movie that's going to be coming out and um, yeah I also have recognized some of the other people have done other things as well and it's great because I think their performances are so good here that I'm glad they've been able to find other work.
1: Same and so that kid who plays the 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 geek Jacob Houston is the actor's name, and then the redheaded kid who's the cameraman. They're both in AP Bio, and are both tremendous in that show, especially Jacob Houston.
0: I mean, one of the people on this show went on to be in a Stranger Things.
1: Yes, season. yes, yes. Of course, how could I forget? One of his burnout friends is the pizza guy in the latest season of of Stranger Things, and he's great in that role too.
0: He is uh, he is pretty great, even though the fourth season of Stranger Things is way too
1: long. Yeah, it is yeah. It, it okay yeah. It is for sure too long. I can definitively. I mean, that.
0: The, the final episode is over two hours. That's that's a movie.
1: Why? Why? Just why?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's. But that's. But I digress. That is a conversation for another day. You know what?
1: That show was not canceled too soon. I'll tell you
0: that much. <laughs> nope. The fifth season may come out. Well, who knows when? Thanks. Th- th- thanks. Thanks, yes. studios for not paying their writers. Thank you all.
1: Yeah, and it, so that'll end on time. A little late, but definitely not too soon.
0: I mean, the Stranger, th- the Stranger Things kids are gonna be Stranger Things adults. That's right. Uh, so you you already answered. When did you want to yell? You are gonna die alone, to Peter. For me, it was actually earlier. It was episode four when Peter and Sam get into it. I'm like, Peter, that's your that's your friend. Like, d- like I understand you want to do due diligence, maybe, but maybe maybe don't go so hard. Like he went hard, man. I don't know. That's that is very uncool. If you did something like that to me, uh, I uh we would we would no longer be friends.
1: Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. And I would say, to, you know, I think when when they present Gabby with the text message that showed that her boyfriend probably cheated on her and they just kind of joke about it and she says, fuck them both and leaves them there. I'm on her side. That's another you're going to die alone moment for me.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a really good one. So, did you get the review vibes as you were watching, or is it something you really didn't notice until I put that at the end? I
1: did not notice till you put it at the end. I mean, I I, I wouldn't have put I wouldn't have thought of it in that context until you said so.
0: Okay, because yeah, it just it 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 smacked me in the face immediately that this is very much a forced McNeil you know, situation that they have become so obsessed with this thing that they will just go scorched earth to. To get the truth, quote-unquote. It does make me
1: want to go watch Pancakes Divorce Pancakes again, though.
0: I mean, don't you always want to watch that?
1: Pretty much. I mean, it's it's one of the greatest half-hours of television that's been made in the past what decade. What if I'd Peter
0: say. What if Peter and Sam had, had had a stack of pancakes at one
1: point? <laughs> I don't know what I would have done.
0: Speaking of digestion, Kevin, next oh. season, American Vandal Season 2... Uh, which we will be discussing in the month of August. Um, all I'm going to say is the title of episode one is brown out. And that is my second favorite title oh, of Christ. any American. <laughs> yes. um, so that's what you have to look forward to, Kevin. I'm, well, not gonna are, say anymore. I, I, I'm
1: seeing the titles of the others and I, and yeah, they confirm exactly what I think. That's all I'm going
0: to say is maybe don't eat during these episodes. That's okay. all I'm going to say. Okay. Uh, Kevin, anything else to say? Before we get out of here, we covered season one in a nice, tidy hour. I would figure a season two episode will go similar. Uh, anything else before we head on out?
1: I'm glad you made me watch this. Uh, this was an enjoyable time, and it was, what, four hours? And and it was super easy to watch. What I find interesting is I was, uh, you know, this is a Netflix original show, and I was on Netflix, and I was looking for it, and I searched American, And I don't think this show is in the first, like, 12 or 15 titles, if I search that now. I understand it's a little old, but it's a Netflix original. You would think it would be at least in, like, the top six searches if I searched the term American on there. Like, I searched Vandal, and I think it may have been, like, third or fourth. But I was just like, geez, I understand that, you know, streaming services are really bad about keeping stuff on there. But you'd think you'd at least promote your own stuff that you made that's still on the service a little bit better.
0: So all I'm going to say in response to that in is Kevin, we're going to put a pin in that conversation and we're going to come Uh-oh. back to it next
1: month. Oh boy, okay, but yeah. So that surprised me that I had to do way more work than just like A M E. Up oh, there it is. That <laughs> to,
0: to yep. find, like I said, next original month,
1: show on Netflix. We'll
0: get into that. We will get into that conversation because it is it is one worth having, and there are specific reasons why it was canceled too soon. So
1: okay, well, all I'll say is I do recommend checking out the the first season for sure.
0: Uh, I'm very glad you enjoyed this and hopefully you enjoy uh, season two even more for Kevin. My name is Jerome. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you again next month.
1: I think the real dicks in the show are the people we met along the way.